Welcome back to Coffee Conversations and Badasses Podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Hayes. You are going to not want to miss this episode because we have a badass individual in studio today to talk about the 2A community and mental health and our veterans. So, Mike Sudini with Walk to Talk America, how the hell are you doing this morning? Dustin, thank you for having me, man. Th- and thank you for saying I'm a badass individual. I feel that's a, a, like a, a life upgrade. <laughs> you are a badass, not me, man. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You know, I believe we share a space of just badassery, really, because we are two people who are really wanting to help people out, especially in the mental health community, which is um, a lot of people say, but not a lot of people do. Yeah. Dude, so so tell me about yourself, man. For one, how did you get into the uh, gun community, first of all? Man, I got in through nepotism. <laughs> I wasn't even a gun person. Um, my family owned one of the largest importers in the United States. It used to be called Eagle Imports. And basically for the listeners, for them to understand what an importer does, um, we were the type of importer that let's say you were from a country like Slovenia and you had a firearm that you wanted to break into the U S market, you would find Eagle imports and basically say like, you know, I want to have a presence, but cause you weren't large enough to have your own presence there in the U S. So we would handle your importing, your sales, your marketing, your customer service, your warranty, um, make it like a turnkey operation and build your brand in the U.S. Uh, so that's that's how I got in. Basically, I had no choice. Um, we were my family was from New Jersey, and after I graduated college, they're like, "You're coming to work in the gun industry." So <laughs> I left Arizona State and went back and worked uh, worked for them, and that's how I broke into the firearms industry, um, which was a pretty interesting experience for me because I wasn't. Like I said, I, I, I grew up with a single mom on the West Coast, so I, I wasn't necessarily uh, exposed to firearms in any other manner than usually uh, most of the time was negative, right? Um, where I came from, people didn't really hunt. Um, you didn't go hunting with your family. Yeah, that, that wasn't common. Uh, most likely you were like the neighborhood pharmacist if if you had a gun or a, a wannabe gangster, <laughs> you know? So um, it, it wasn't something that I necessarily had a passion for, but that passion uh, developed after coming into the industry and, and spending many years there and, and understanding the 2A community. So is New Jersey, the perception when I think of New Jersey and... Uh, you know, don't hate me for this, but I think of Jersey Shore, man. It. <laughs> I, I knew you would be too. I was like, man, he's, he's going to hate me for this. Uh, but you know, cause I think Jersey Shore is when people think Jersey and just that small, I don't even know. I probably, they probably didn't even go more than two or three blocks from where they, you know, filmed Jersey Shores. But that's what I see when I see Jersey, when I, when I think of Jersey is Jersey, do they actually have like country? And I know this is a retarded question, but I'm sure there's a lot more land out there than what meets the eye when you see that little base spot on the map. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you if you basically go to the western side of New Jersey, it's a lot of forest, right? I mean, there's a lot of green. The thing is, is because of New Jersey and Newark, people flying into Newark when they go into New York, and the Jersey Shore show, where which is funny because that's that's where I'm from and that's where our offices were. Um, and those kids made that area famous, which is, which is insanity to me. Um, 
you know, basically <laughs> being, I'm from Vegas now. Right. And I remember when that show got popular and people were just like, dude, aren't you from the Jersey shore? Was that insane growing up there? And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, the, the, the shore section is definitely like beach towns and everything like that. But if you get outside of it, I mean, there's a, for the rap that Jersey gets about, you know, their firearms, there is a lot of firearms ownership there. And there's a lot of rural places in Jersey where firearms are a way of life and hunting is a way of life. Well, Jersey's one of the strictest states. I mean, you got New York, you got California, right? And Jersey's right up there with it, right? Yeah, Jersey's horrible. Um, yeah. And the, you know, everyone always says, get out. And well, obviously I got out, but, um, you know, if we, abandon those places then we we will lose them so the people that are there fighting the good fight with you know basically trying to overturn some of these draconian laws and things like that in new jersey are are really on the front lines of that and unfortunately i hate to say it if you are a criminal and you get caught with a gun there you are way more likely to uh to get off than you are if you're a law-abiding citizen who makes a mistake right i mean we've had people come to new jersey uh, to help. Like I'll give you a prime example. Um, during the, uh, hurricane Sandy, um, there were people from North Carolina, you know, that came up to New Jersey to help, to aid in assistance and didn't realize that they couldn't carry their firearm there and got caught with it. And it turned their life into hell. Like those are the silly things about New Jersey. You know, wow. you, almost, you almost would think that they've solved all crime when it comes to firearms there with the way that they go after law-abiding citizens or make law-abiding citizens jump through hoops to obtain a firearm. I mean, that's normal. That, that's I think that's normal and the perfect practice that's what's going on in America today is uh, if you're a law-abiding citizen, you are the enemy. If you are the criminal and career criminal, um, we should have some what fucking sympathy for you, you know, and say, Oh, let them off. Just a bad egg, you know, had a bad life, had a bad upbringing. Holy shit. Dude, if I hear that shit one more fucking time, you know, it's so yeah. crazy to hear that. And the, the, the way people think about criminals, like we should let them off. We should not be so harsh on them. Are you kidding me? That's what makes them not want to do it again. You know, it's like exactly. punishing your kid for doing something bad. Hey, you did something bad. Here's the punishment. Hopefully you don't do it again. Hopefully you learn from it. But if we just make this such a weak punishment and almost not existent to these days, there's no repercussions. Everybody, like, well, I'm getting off anytime, or I'm not going to have a court date for two, three years because a system isn't, isn't relieved. It's inundated with just more cases. Now it's taking longer to prosecute and they're not even going to jail. And well, California anyway, California, Jersey, I think are pretty dang close when it comes to, to gun laws and stuff like that. You know, um, I don't own any guns. Um, I'm, I only nerf guns. So me too. Uh, That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, uh, it's a new way to protect yourself these days. It's like, you know, the great TikTok shit that's going on. <laughs> Non-lethal, you know, binary bullets, you know, so, <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, man, it's crazy, dude. Where you grew up? Did you, when you took over, did you you end up taking over your family business eventually, right? Yeah. So basically, how this went was, um, you know, my uncle, my uncle, and my grandfather owned it, and my grandfather retired, and then my uncle had a stroke in um, 
2006. And one of my good friends who was working there as a family friend basically took over as the president's role. I was already a minority owner, um, but I was able to obtain more shares as things were changing in the company. In 2009, the president of my company took his own life with one of our firearms. Um, and it's not necessarily the main reason why I'm here today doing what I'm doing. There was a series of events that had happened up until then, but um, that thrust me into the, the president's role. Nobody wants to get the, the role of president in any company um, through tragedy, but that that's what happened. So, um, you know, it was, it was something that stuck with my company for a long time. And, and you know, back then, in 2009, we didn't really know how to handle those types of situations. I look back at it now, and if I was the person I am today, we would handle it completely different. But uh, that, that that's basically my journey into becoming an executive of uh, my family's business uh, was through the tragedy of my friend. And, um, you know, and that, that's why we're here today to talk about what we're going to do. That's a good segue into talking about mental health and firearms. And, and you know, I, I definitely want to unpack some of the... Uh, the past of the firearms industry when it when it comes to suicide prevention and, and better mental health, um, because that's something that I thought was very odd, especially um, during that time, is that it's something in the industry that we didn't really address, right? Because any negative outcome of firearms was definitely going to be weaponized against us. So we got into this mode of, we can't talk about suicide. We can't talk about mental health. We can't do these things. And I think it really came back to haunt us. Does that make sense? I'm sorry. Yeah, hundred percent. I am sorry for your friend. And, you know, he felt the only way out was taking his own life and leaving behind. Uh, I'm not sure if he had a wife and kids, but um, leaving behind, you know, friends, a dad. Behind friends, he, he, died. he had a kid. Yep. He, he, had, he had a yeah, son. So it's, you know, when they say somebody kills himself, it touches three people, you know, three to seven people. And, you have a kid, the kid's more likely now to commit suicide yeah. than not and to deal with the issues, man. And I am so sorry that that's happened. You know, um, unfortunate tragedies, that's what catapults people into a different direction to say, hey, wait a minute, there is something else out there. Yeah, the fire industry is really, I would say, jacked up when it comes to mental health because it's a taboo topic. It's a topic of, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm great. Because uh, if I say I have a headache or I'm thinking negative thoughts, they're going to come take my firearms away, um, mm. which is exactly what I thought myself. Um, uh, why I would probably not. And this was just a few years ago, you know, and from a few years ago to now, the education that I have is vast versus, okay, now I know I was just worried about myths, not facts. Yeah. So exactly. what, uh, how did, so how did this segue you into the two A community and mental health? So I always wanted to do something because I, it was really odd. His, his funeral was like a who's who of the gun industry. Um, there were presidents of major gun companies there. Um, and basically we put them in the ground and then we moved on. Uh, no magazines, no, no, uh, internet, you know, bloggers, any, nobody addressed it. Um, you know, just, if you saw something, it was a little blurb, you know, this person's passed away. And we always thought, 
his name is Bill. Bill and I always thought it was very odd because it's something we noticed um, throughout our history together working gun shows like the SHOT Show or the NRA Show. So at Eagle, we always had these great, we always had a great big booth and um, it, we always had couches and there were people uh, that would come to our booth just to hang out and, and chop it up with us every year, right? At SHOT Show. Um, and some of them, uh, you know, we were told by family members, like that's something that they look forward to. Like, oh, I'm going to go see Bill and Mike over at Eagle. And, um, you know, it was always weird. We, we noticed that every year there was uh, somebody who took their life with a firearm that wasn't there. Uh, it was just, it, it, it was like clockwork, right? And many of them were either uh, combat vets or first responders. It was, it was, it was, seemed like a disproportionate number of them, um, you know, had some kind of job where it required them to have a firearm. Um, and we used to talk about how weird that is. And that was really what threw me off about Bill taking his own life is he was uh, adamant that taking your own life is the coward's way out. Like we would have conversations about this stuff and he was just, you know, we had a mutual friend one time that, that took her life. It wasn't by a firearm, but I remember him saying only cowards do that. Right. So he felt so strong about that. So that, you know, that was something that never had crossed my mind as a possibility. You know, if somebody feels that, strong about something you're like okay they're good there <laughs> you know what i mean whether whether they're thinking their thought process is correct right you kind of look the other way because you're like i don't have to worry about him committing or taking his own life you know that's not happening <laughs> so was, was bill one of the guys that you know he walked out of the house smile on the face you know kind of go lucky you know nothing really affected him nothing really guy. affected Yes. And, uh, this, and I want the listeners to really understand this because now that we're kind of, um, taking control of our mental health as firearm owners and talking about suicide and understanding that it's okay to talk about it and that we can, we could be on the forefront of attacking this as the 2A community and the gun community. Um, everyone always says signs, like someone's showing signs. Even, even when I do safe talk classes or I attend events, they are always talking about look for these signs. And yes, some people do show signs, right? Some people um, are crying for help and maybe doing it in a low key way. And, and, and that's great. I think when you're able to catch it, but with Bill, it was the complete opposite. So um, I like to always tell this story because I think it's important um, just for people to understand that Sometimes you got to check in on your friends, even when they're smiling and they're perfectly happy and talking about the future, right? Uh, Bill, the last day we were together, um, I was flying back to Vegas from Jersey and we were playing basketball together. And he, he literally got mad at me because he's like, hey, all right, you got to go. But did you make all your plans for our future trips together? So, we, you know, as, as people in the firearms industry, we travel a lot to shows. We travel a lot to see distributors. And Bill was like, you haven't made your reservation for this, this, this. And I was like, no, I'll do it when I get home. And he was like, Dude, you're killing me. You know, like we're coming up on these trips. So not only did he not talk about having suicidal ideation, but he talked about us in the future in terms of travel. 
right? Which is something that usually people are like, okay, you're not talking about the future. You're usually saying, hey, dude, Dustin is so good. I'm so glad I met you and you've changed my life. I really appreciate you. You know what I mean? If anything ever happens to me, I just want you to know I love you. Like those are things that your kind of antenna is like, dude, what's going on, right? Not the opposite. If I'm like, dude, I'll see you in two weeks, man. Like, let's go, you know? Um, that, that's 100% it, man. When you put the mask on, man, I call it, I call it the mask. Because that's exactly what I had when I was, nobody knew I was that way. Nobody knew I was suicidal. Mm. Everybody thought I was like, man, Dustin's on top of the world, dude. He's got this company's just started again, uh, rocking and rolling. While I walked in the house, man, it was just like, I just lived in a dark, gloomy dungeon that just, just the stress just, you know, imploded. Every single time I walked in, I was just like, oh my God, I'm just like shrinking up with all this stress. Um, didn't know how to relieve it. Didn't know how to release it. Didn't know how to talk about it and putting the mask on, man, or I, or a cape. You know, some people say a cape. I put the cape on when I walk out, you know, I'm the superhero, ever, I'm the superhero everybody needs. Um, but then we forget to exactly do exactly what you said, man, is check in, you know, and that's the important thing. Hey, if you know somebody who's going through a tough time, check in, whether that's a divorce, a business closing relationship is, you know, issues, a, you know, addiction, especially, you know, or if you know, they're going through something mentally, any one of these things, if they're going through that, they're going through something mentally now, maybe not suicidal. Um, but you know, they can have some slight depression, um, that could easily go down a road that we need to avoid is, uh, that suicidal ideology. So he, that go lucky kind of guy, man, and making future plans is odd for somebody who is suicidal. That's not a typical sign of somebody who's thinking that way. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and cause I know a lot of listeners are probably like, I said, what happened? Right. Um, <clears throat> I will never know exactly what went on mentally. Um, but you know, he went out that day and, uh, I guess he went out drinking and he got a DUI. And for some reason that completely derailed him. Um, obviously I, I don't think the DUI alone was what caused him to do this, but the deal, the DUI may have been the deal breaker, you know, especially if you're, you're inebriated and, and things like that. Um, you know, so he, you know, I get a call. It was crazy. I remember I went back to, I was in Vegas and I got a call from one of my buddies who, you know, he understood time change and the phone was ringing at four in the morning. And I was like, this, this ain't going to be good. You know what I mean? Like, but you, you always answer those calls and you, you think, okay, somebody had a heart attack, somebody, you know, got in a car accident. But, um, immediately my buddy's like, did you hear about Bill? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's just like, he's dead. And I'm like, what? And my brain went to a car accident, right? Cause that, or a heart attack. Like that, that, that's, that's the only thing that's going to make sense. And he's like, yeah, he shot himself last night. And I was just like, I gotta go. I'm like, I remember I hung up the phone. I called the offices back in Jersey. Um, and my, my CFO, you know, you, you could, she picked up the phone and, and she was visibly, you could hear it in her voice. And, uh, you know, I was like, what, what's happening? Like what's going on right now? And she's just like, um, he left a note for you. And I remember thinking like, it's weird how people like process things. My CFO was like, I'm going to overnight it to you. And I remember I was like, open it. Like I appreciate it. She was trying to, you know, like protect the privacy of it. And I'm like, no, 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 Maria, open it. And I remember like, he, he, he was like, sorry, Mike. And it had all these, all of his account numbers and things like that. <laughs> like, like, 
he had thought to write out like all his financial stuff. So I guess we could help, you know, get it to his son or whatever. Um, but it was, uh, you know, there was really no explanation for it. So, you know, those are the type of things where you, you play that game, man. You're just like, dude, if you just would have called me or, you know what I mean? Like, hey, so this is an interesting part of the story. And I think it leads to um, the misconceptions and, and, and uh, myths that could cause someone to do something. Um, when I talked to his sister, because his sister went to go pick him up from jail, um, you know, she was saying he was like, I'm not going to be able to work in the gun industry. I'm not going to be. And his sister didn't understand why he was saying that because he's like, Mike's not going to care. Like the worst case scenario is I'm driving now when we're on the road together. Right. If they suspend his license. Right. Um, but but I, I don't I think he thought he was going to get in bigger trouble than than he really was going to for a DUI, because, you know, as people that work in the firearms industry, we're very aware of how easy it is for us to be drummed out of the firearms industry by law enforcement if we screw up. Right. If you get any kind of domestic violence charge against you or, you know, there, there are things where you cannot work around firearms and um I'll never know for sure what he meant by what he was saying to her, but there's part of me that says, I wonder if he thought he wasn't going to be able to work for us, you know, that type of thing, but we'll never know. Um, but, you know, to, to kind of go back to your, like, where, how did we get here where we're at now? Right. Like walk the talk America. Um, I always wanted to do something to honor Bill, um, but I never knew what that looked like. And I always felt like, okay, maybe the firearms industry, could tackle this in some sort of way. Uh, and it's odd that we don't, especially because we're the type of people that will cry from the mountaintop and scream from the mountaintop, like 22 a day, right? Like, like we lose our first responders and we lose our active duty military who we hold very near and dear to us who gravitate towards the firearms industry just naturally. Right. Um, and it was like, we always recognize that, but we just didn't recognize it overall as something I think that we could be a part of and, and help change. Um, but 2018 rolls around, uh, my national sales manager and I are in new Orleans and we're celebrating. Um, we had just closed a massive deal with Lipsy's, which is a big distributor in the firearms game. Um, we, we, I'm not gonna lie, man, we were hammered. Um, <laughs> we were like 11 boxes deep, but we met this lady at the bar and, uh, she, that my, my national sales manager, his name's Rafael Devali. Now he runs Bursa in the United States, um, which was one of our brands back then. Um, but he was talking to this lady and they had read the same book or whatever. And she was there by herself. It was a super crowded restaurant and we had a table for four and it was only two of us. So basically we, we invited her. I said, man, let's go back and get that lady. She was cool. It's an older lady. You know, she sat down, we were having a good time. And, and of course, when, when someone who doesn't know anything about firearms gets to sit with two people that are in the firearms industry, it's like, I'm going to ask questions about this, right? Cause you don't meet firearms people every day. Um, and, uh, she asked one question and she was just like, Hey, what happens during a mass shooting? And I said, well, everybody blames us. Uh, we blame mental health and then nothing ever happens. And she asked this question and it changed my life clearly. Um, but she said, if, if you can't work with the, with the mental health community, on things that would prevent people from having guns. 
how do you work with the mental health community on finding ways to help people? Because I'm sure they have certain programs or, or there's certain ways to help people um, that don't involve the restriction. And that was like kind of a light bulb moment. I'm just like, it can't be that simple, can it? <laughs> right? <laughs> I became obsessed with that idea um, so much so that I one of my biggest regrets in life is not getting the ladies um, information, right? But that would have been kind of creepy and awkward if I was like, let me get your number. <laughs> like an older lady, you know what I mean? Um, uh, but it was on the way out, she she stopped me when we were saying goodbye because we were going to continue on our mission of 20 vodka She had to go to a conference or something in the morning. So we, we kept going, but I remember she stopped me and she's like, you're going to do this. And um, at the dinner, my national sales manager had looked at me and he had said, yeah, Mike, we really should be given like a dollar gun to mental health and, and whoever, you know, we know so many people in the industry, I bet we can get people to donate to mental health. Like it was a blanket statement and it was a, a innocent statement. It didn't really make much sense. But to me, I was like, oh, maybe that's something we could do. Right. And, and going back to my initial thought was, hey, if we could just throw money at mental health, like we can be the good guys for once. Right. Like almost like Big Pharma does. Right? Big Pharma pays their way to be accepted by all these people that hate them. Um, I was like, okay, everybody hates us, but hey, are you, our money's green. You'll take it. I'm sure you would. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let's, let's go. Talks. Yeah. Talks. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that day I'd committed in my head, okay, I'm going to give a dollar a gun and let's see how many other people will do it. I didn't know what that meant. Um, but it, you know, going home, being fascinated by this idea. I didn't even know if there was a mental health organization that would give me the time of day. Um, then if, you know. did it, when you were going down this road, finding this mental health organization, was it pretty easy to find one or was it, you know, finding ones that, Hey, we have this mission. This is what we do, but it's hard to find. Or a lot of them say they have a mission. A lot of them say they do something but there's no follow through or action yeah, well, we'll, case as well. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm jumping uh, the gun. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, the first thing I did is I got home and I researched and I was looking for somebody, anybody that kind of took a gun neutral stance. Um, I, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to find any, any mental health organizations that were pro gun. Um, but I came across position paper 72 from mental health America. And, and when I read it, I came out of the chair. I was like, these are the people I need to talk to because they started off with like, this is going to be an unpopular opinion amongst our peers, but we're going to stay gun neutral on this subject because we believe just because you battle mental illness doesn't mean you should have your rights violated. Right. It was something to the effect of that. And I was like, okay, th this is something. And I remember like just being so excited about this and I had called, a lot of my peers in the firearms industry, um, like Rob Pincus and Colian Noir and, and guys that I was friends with. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And they were all like, dude, you have my blessing. And I'm like, hey, would you be interested in being a board member and helping me with this? And everybody was very, very receptive to it. Um, so it was crazy because then that was my green light. Right. And I, I, I like to talk of like movie analogies and stuff like that. But I wrote this like uh email. I call it the Jerry Maguire memo. And I just banged this thing out. And, and it was like, 
it was speaking directly to Mental Health America and it was talking about making change and how we can drive this change together. And there's so many different ways. And what I was fascinated by in this position paper was they were giving so many examples and using um, uh, active shooters or mass shooters uh, that had done horrific things in the past. And they were using language like, like I'll give you an example. Jared Lautner is the guy who shot uh, Gabby Giffords in Arizona. And they were just saying like the Gifford situation was horrific, but um, our funding in Arizona had been cut so much. And we're not saying we could have stopped him, but we are saying that if we had some funding for outreach, maybe things would have been different. Now, me being excited, I'm thinking those are programs, right? You're talking about outreach programs. So those are the things that I wanted to fund, right? I was like, that's exactly what I want to fund. Um, so I wrote this, this Hail Mary email. And uh, <laughs> it was funny because I, I always tell this story. I remember I was talking to Rob Pincus, who's a trainer, and he, he's a you know, firearms industry professional. And um, I showed him the, the, the email and he goes, this is really good, but you need to wait until we have a website and you probably should wait until we actually have a 501c3. <laughs> I'm looking down a field already. I'm like, no. Um, and it was funny because it took me about five minutes and then we hung up the phone and I was just like, I'm going to send it anyways. And I hit send, right? <laughs> right. I, I hit send. And um, it was crazy. The day that the letter, two weeks later, the day that the letter came from the government saying our 501c3 was accepted um, was the same day that Mental Health America reached out to me. And they're like, we've been reading your email and we want to meet you. Like, will you come to LA? Um, and, you know, I know it's short notice. And I was like, Absolutely. Like and I flew out to LA, they had a conference. It was crazy because I knew I was onto something that, that needed to be done because when I got there, I, I was so nervous. I got there early. Um, I got there like an hour before the conference started. And one of the, the vice president of mental health America was sitting out front with all the name badges. He was like organizing it. And she was like, Hey, who are you? And I was like, I'm the gun guy. I sent the gun. email. <laughs> and she was like, Oh my God, we're so happy to have you here. She's like, we didn't think you'd show up. And I was like, oh shit, <laughs> like, this is going to be an uphill battle for me. Like I'm going to have to win over a lot of hearts and minds. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because something's gone wrong in the past. But um, anyway, so that was my introduction to Mental Health America. Um, and, and we've had a great relationship ever since then. But we could also tackle that thing you said <laughs> about... Actions, words, <laughs> fundraising, <laughs> right? A hundred percent, man. That's yeah. So one, it, it drives me nuts, uh, you know, to think about this topic specifically because a lot of people fucking talk, man, and there's not yeah. a lot of doers. But uh, we're going to take a five minute break. And when we come back, we're going to hit this topic pretty hard. And we're going to find out the myths about the gun community and our veterans. So we'll be back. If you have a heroic story and you'd like to share it, get in contact with us. Our information's in the bio. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe, like, and share. And then I'll see you on the next episode, badasses. <laughs>